Hey Gems, welcome back to the show. Let's not waste any time and jump straight into the topic. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This might take a while, so you might want to get some tea or some coffee or something like that. Maybe you're commuting, um, but I'm experimenting with longer episodes, so we're going to see how long this one takes us. But today we're going to talk about attachment, okay? All about attachment and why it's important to know what it is and how it plays a role in our lives, in our relationships. I am, or I see myself as an attachment therapist. Um, It's become how I see the world. I was never that way necessarily before, but it just makes more and more sense to me. And it's the foundation of the majority of the conversations that we're going to have. So I've been wanting to do this episode since I started the podcast, but I just never knew how to do it or, you know, what to what to say or how to explain it to you guys. So um, I'm going to just start from the beginning and kind of explain the background and then how it applies to relationships and things like that. Okay. So pretty much um, in the 50s, there was a researcher and his name was Bowlby and he wanted to understand separation anxiety and why kids would be distressed when they were um, separated from their parents and that kind of fun stuff, right? So <clears throat> so in that, he just kind of examined what the different factors were that played roles in um, levels of distress for children when they're separated from their primary caregivers. And um, what he found pretty much was that when a kid feels like they can trust their caregiver because their caregiver is available and reliable and dependable, the kid feels safe and secure, right? And because of that, they then can explore the world and uh, try new things. They feel more confident. They feel safe. They feel like they can trust things. Um, and that creates a secure attachment base or a secure attachment relationship. So those who have secure attachment relationships with their parents are more likely to be um, confident, uh, feel safe and secure, and feel like they can explore and, and um, trust the world because they trust their caregiver who has shown them through their actions being consistent with their thoughts and their feelings that that is possible and that's what their experience of the world is. So then later on in the 70s, there was another researcher. She expanded on that research and she did what was called the strange experiment, strange situation experiment. You can look it up on YouTube and what happened was that there would be a mother, a child, and another woman in the room. The, they would all be, well, the, the other person would be in the room, but not interacting with the mother and child. Um, and then the mother would end up leaving the room, stepping out of the room. And the way that the child responded and reacted when the mother left the room and when the mother came back is what decided what their attachment style was. So if the mother left the room 
and the child was, you know, unhappy, um, but the stranger could come and kind of console them and say, oh, hey, you know, your mom will be back. It'll be okay. And the kid was okay and maybe still tentative, but able to play and um, emotionally regulate. When the parent came back, the kid was like, oh, hey, mom, it's you. Um and continue to play and was okay, that could be what is called an, a secure, an example of a secure attachment relationship. If the parent were to leave and the child were to be inconsolable by the adult, they're upset, they can't play, they're crying, they're, they're mad. When mom comes back, you know, um, they cling to mom and they don't want to let her go. They don't even want to play anymore because they just want to make sure that they keep eyes on mom or they want to touch mom and make sure that she's right there. Then that might be categorized or an example of an insecure attachment style, maybe anxious, right? Because they want to make sure mom doesn't leave the room again and leave them. Um, if a kid leaves or if a mom leaves the room and the kid is upset or actually the kid, the mom leaves the room and the kid is like, eh, bye mom like maybe they're a little bit upset but they're like okay whatever get out of here you're fine and when mom comes back they're like whatever you know what like you're back that's great this might be an avoidant attachment style if they avoid mom or if they're mad at mom they might be sitting with mom but they're mad at her or something like that this might be an avoidant attachment style and then so they came up with three attachment styles originally i believe and go ahead somebody fact check me please because i am not um the holy grail of information but they're secure attachment style anxious and avoidant and then they also identified uh what is called disorganized disorganized attachment as well which disorganized is, is I'll talk a little bit about these in more detail too. Um, disorganized is pretty much based on inconsistency in a child ex- child's experience of their primary caregiver. And they, it's like a push-pull situation. So this kid might have been really uh, upset when their parent left, um, was consolable by the other adult when the parent came back. They, they were mad at mom and then they were happy that mom was there. They were mad at mom and then happy that mom was there. And so it's this back and forth kind of confusing um, experience, which leads to that disorganized attachment style. So what does all, what do these weird experiments have to do with anything, right? At the end of the day, to me, everything comes down to love and fear. Attachment comes down to fears and needs. So everyone has a fear of one of four things based on what their needs are. So the major fears, which I think I've posted on my Instagram before at some point, the major fears are the fear of abandonment, fear of rejection, fear of failure, and fear of not being blank enough. So not being tall, short, pretty, smart, whatever the case may be, fill in the blank. And those four fears come from wanting to feel like someone will always be there, that you can be successful, that you're acceptable, and that you are enough, right? And so when you know which of these fears kind of plays a major role in what's going on with you, it's like finding the root cause of an issue. So this is why I like attachment theory, because people are coming in to find relief. People are coming to counseling for relief. They're not coming for like raindrops and sunshine. Like 
when you go to the doctor, you want the doctor to figure out what's going on and get rid of it for you or help you to get rid of it, right? And so I think the same thing about counseling. I think that a lot of the times, um, or some theories are doing a lot of surface work, and um, which leads to helping with the symptoms. But if we don't eradicate whatever's going on from the root or understand what's going on from the root, then that thing is always going to come back. It's going to continue to be an issue. So to me, this is the base, the core of everything. And I also am cognitive behavioral, which I'll talk about in another episode, which talks about core beliefs. But even the core beliefs to me come from attachment. So um, if you have a belief that, you know, you don't feel worthy, you don't feel lovable, you don't feel um, like, like you're capable, those all come from attachment to me in my mind. So understanding what those those fears are. And I think we all have some level of fearing, you know, being abandoned or rejected or being a failure or not enough. We all have those four fears. But for some of us, there's one that's really like front runner and everything kind of comes back to this thing. If we can figure that out and learn how to resolve that and replace it with something else, I've mentioned it in a previous episode, when you get a flat tire, you've got to take the tire off, but you also have to put something else on. You have to put another tire on before you can drive again. So if we can get rid of that fear or resolve that fear of abandonment and replace it with knowing that, you know, no one is going to leave you, then that will take care of and alleviate all of the simple uh, symptoms that we're going to talk about in the next couple of minutes. So everything comes down to fears and needs. Figuring out what your major fear is is going to help to set you free um, because then you'll know how to get your needs met. So there are the four attachment styles, and I'm going to describe some of the experiences that accompany those attachment styles. Secure attachment is where someone can be autonomous and they feel comfortable with intimacy. Um, They feel secure in their relationships. They feel satisfied in their relationships. Uh, They're less likely to have trust issues and more likely to assume positive intent. So what I mean by that is when you have a friend, you know, usually with your friends, it's kind of okay unless your attachment is really, um, you know, gung-ho and then it even bleeds over into your friendships. But usually with our friends, we can assume positive intent. If I text Lacey and Lacey doesn't text me back, I'm like, huh, Lacey, well, you know what? Maybe she's taking a nap. Maybe she's at the movies or maybe, oh, she is at work. I think she said she works on Saturdays. Maybe that's what she's doing. And so we assume positive intent and we make excuses for um, why this person is not doing this on purpose to hurt us. Now, In relationships, we can typically do that in the beginning, depending on your attachment style. And sometimes it evolves over time because the more of a threat that this person becomes to us, then the 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 more we see them as an enemy as opposed to a teammate. So let me talk about that real quick. This is a whole thing, a whole slew of stuff. Um, The fears and needs lead to how we interact with people. And at the end of the day, we're all animals. And we have three responses to stressors, flight, fight, or freeze. So when a fear is triggered, when I have a fear of abandonment triggered, then I am going to exhibit or experience or interact in a way that shows fight, flight, or freeze. And so we all, just like we have primary fear, 
um, attachment fears. We also have primary um stress responses, if that makes sense. So if you look back on your life and you think about, oh, when I'm put in a stressful situation, how is it that I respond? What is it that I want to do? Do I just want to get out of here? Do I want to avoid this thing? That might be that you have an avoidant attachment style. Now, none of these are that it's bad or that you're like a terrible person or something like that, but it's just information. It just is what it is. And hopefully when you know how that information has an impact on your life, then you can do something about it. It's empowering because then you can take responsibility and alter the things that you can so that you can live a more fulfilling life. So understanding the fears and needs, how that creates your response, whether it's fight, flight, or freeze, helps you to understand how it plays out in relationships. For someone who's secure, their their fears are really low. It would take a their threshold is high. So it would take a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to happen for them to be triggered to fight, flight, or freeze. That's why they can withstand conflict and they don't get pulled into conflict or perpetuate conflict as quickly um, as maybe some of the atta- the other attachment styles because they have a really high threshold um, and really see the world as good, see people as good and capable, and they see um, those that they love as being able to meet their needs and being able to meet their own needs, if that makes sense. So that is a secure attachment style. The next one is anxious. So anxious, preoccupied, you'll see in here both when you look it up. Uh, pre- now, anxiety, we've talked about what I believe anxiety is. It's predicting negative things to happen in the future. That's what this attachment style is all about. It's a fear that something is going to happen in the future. So they're often worried about being enough in relationships, more likely to take things personally. So you might be in a relationship with someone that's an that has an, an anxious attachment style. And when they see that you've uploaded something to your Instagram story, they're like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, you're having fun? And then they're like, oh, that's that's cool. But for them, because they already have somewhere in their programming that they're not enough, maybe, um, everything that they see in the world seeks to confirm what they think they believe they already know. Now, all of this is happening subconsciously. They may not know that this is actually playing a role in what's going on with them. It's just going to happen in their interactions. So when they see that you're hanging out with your friends and you're having fun, in their mind, it's confirming that they're not enough and that you don't need them and you don't want them. And that may not necessarily be the case. Now, with an anxious person dating a secure person, the secure person might be confused because you're like, no, I do care about you and I love you. And, but I can also care about and love my friends and my family too. So, um, it can play out in different ways. This attachment style is also, um, likely to feel afraid of belonging more likely to be clingy or codependent. So because of that fear, um, they want to ensure that they don't get left or that that they are loved. And so because of that, it ramps up this, this need to confirm that they are lovable, right? And so to me, I always think of that So Raven. That So Raven would see the future and then she would do a whole bunch of stuff to avoid that future happening. But doing that stuff is what led to that future that she saw if that makes any sense, if you even saw that. So even maybe I'm 
I don't know, dating myself or, or younging myself. Is that a thing? Um, and so this attachment style will often act in ways that pushes their partner away. So this might be excessive calling or texting, um, pretty much someone with an anxious attachment style needs a lot of reassurance, which is not a bad thing. I think reassurance can be great in relationships and it can make people feel really connected, but it's how we go about um, getting that that reassurance that makes the difference. If I say to my partner, hey, you know, I'm feeling really insecure right now. I would like a hug. It would make me feel better. That's one way to seek a reassurance. But if I'm like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why didn't you text me today? That, which I don't know if I've already, I don't think I've talked about conflict intimacy, but I'm then I have to do a whole nother episode on that. Um, that is another way to seek reassurance. What the person needs is the same, but how they're going about getting it is two different things. So when you raise your level of self-awareness and you become an observer in your life, you can see, hey, I'm doing something that is not helping me to actually get my need met. How can I be really genuine and authentic and communicate what my actual message is, right? Now, that's much easier said than done. This is why people have coaches and counselors and all that fun stuff to help partner in that process. Um, And this attachment style is also really highly likely to be paired with the next uh, style that I'm going to talk about, which is avoidant attachment style. So opposites attract. We all know that saying, um, but it can really make for a doozy of a relationship. So let's move on to avoidant or dismissive attachment style. So someone who is avoidant typically of well, that's what they do, they avoid. They typically avoid relationships altogether. So this might be someone who is an island, well, now I'm going to put the link in the bio because uh, there's a book called Your Brain on Love, which is on Audible. It's a short read, well, it's a short listen, and it's really good. It talks about attachment and relationships. This person is like an island. So they're cool by themselves. They're just trying to avoid relationships. They keep people at arm's distance, at arm's length, because to them, they've been hurt before and people are going to continue to hurt them. So you know what? Let me not let anybody get too close so that I can avoid getting hurt. Again, this is all happening subconsciously that they're predicting their needs are not going to be met or that they're going to be left. So this often leads to self-sabotage. Both anxious and avoidant attachment styles do some level of self-sabotaging at times and blowing up their relationship, whether they know it or not, because the way that they are... um, the way that they are fueled by their fear plays out in a way that pushes their partner away. Now, um, why does someone self-sabotage? Because it feels like it will hurt less if I pull the trigger first, but it never actually truly works because it it's isolating. You feel very alone. You, if you never actually connect with someone, then you feel really um, lonely and by yourself. Now, Someone with an avoidant or dismissive attachment style gets overwhelmed really easily um, and is likely to have intense mood swings. Just because someone looks like they've shut down um, or maybe they will stonewall doesn't mean that they don't feel. On the contrary, they feel quite intensely, but it's maybe more than they know how to handle or what to do with. So it's like a robot just shutting down. Now, this person might be the person to just walk out of the room. This might be the person that just doesn't text you back. This is the person that ends up ghosting, right? And so someone who's avoidant, just you just ghost. You're like, oh, can't deal with this. Bye. Maybe they don't even say bye, right? And that makes for their own needs not being met, but then it also makes 
for their partner to also feel like either that their fear is confirmed and perpetuates these cycles of um, of negative interactions and negative self-image based on how how you went into the relationship and your attachment style. Someone with a secure attachment uh, secure attachment foundation won't have the same it won't have the same impact on them that it would a dismissive person or an anxious attachment um, style. And so it can look really different. There's a lot of different constellations. If you want to hear more about that, let me know. I can talk about it in a future relationship. So those are the, the first three were secure, anxious, and avoidant. Then there was a fourth that was kind of discovered or, or observed, which is disorganized or unresolved. Now, Typically, this is due to trauma or abuse, but to me, there at some level, trauma is just having a highly distressing negative experience. So, to me, anxious and dismissive or avoidant, sorry, are also from you, you might have traumatic experiences there as well, but disorganized might come from like serious trauma or abuse experiences in early childhood. It's characterized by inconsistency in a caregiver. um, And that leads to the child not knowing what to expect or how to feel. So the child is confused and frustrated as a result. And if you have been abused by a parent or neglected by a parent or, you know, emotionally, you know, um, emotionally uncared for or abused or something like that, that, but you, but you still care about your parent, they're still your, your mom or your dad or whoever your primary caregiver is. You might have this intense love for the person that has also hurt you either physically or emotionally. And that's really difficult to resolve. And I explain it to my clients is, Emotions and our experiences are really complex. I think we expect or or believe them to be like paints on a color palette that are all separated, but that's not how it goes. Love and joy and sadness and pain are all intermixed. All of the colors are mixed up together. And so when you're young and have certain experiences, your wires can get crossed and love can get crossed with pain. So disorganized kind of reminds me of, about that because you may love the person that has hurt you really deeply. And so there's this push-pull that is the outcome of that. They have a deep desire to feel connected. At the same time, they really fear and are scared of being hurt the way that they've been hurt in the past. And so this is accompanied by intense fear of rejection, which leads to what looks like a lot of pushing and pulling. So they might pull you in really close and you're like, wow, we're really getting to know each other. This is great or whatever. And then something happens and they push you away. And every time that fear is triggered, that's when that fight, flight, or freeze response is um, kicks in and it plays out in your relationship. So this, this relationship is going to look really like a push and pull situation. Things are great one day, they go speed the next day. Today we're at the park tomorrow they're cussing me out. And so it leads to a lot of confusion in the relationship as well. So those are the four attachment styles, disorganized, avoidant, anxious, and secure. All of them being a result of fears and needs um, and your fight, flight, or freeze responses being triggered. Each attachment style is just just trying to avoid pain and hurt um, at the end of the day. But the more that we elevate and learn about ourselves and can become observers in our lives and observe the other people in our lives and who we choose to be with and be around, 
the better off we are in being able to manipulate some of the variables to see if we can get different outcomes. And that is all that I have for you today. If you like these longer podcasts, please let me know and I will continue to record them. If not, then I can save my time. No, I'm kidding. Um, But let me know what you think. Is 20 minutes too long, too short? Um, And maybe if you have any questions or follow up, leave me a message or a DM or whatever the case may be. But I will talk to you next time, Gems. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support the podcast, you have a few options. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it, and you'll be notified as new episodes are uploaded. You can also leave a review or send me your feedback. Doing so helps me to create content that's relevant to what you want to hear about. And last, you can share the podcast with a friend. Whether it's directly or sharing it on your social media, it helps them to know that you think that this is information that they need to hear about. Thank you.